Welcome everybody to the 14th, I believe it is, episode of the Light Shed podcast, formerly known as the podcast without a name. Um, does everyone think I sound good this week? I know there were a lot of complaints uh, about last week. My microphone Being in a basement. Was, you were literally in a basement I was, last I was week. in a basement. My microphone wasn't good, but now I actually have set up my Rode microphone which is especially for podcasting, and all three of us now have it. And um, as you can see, mine is actually out of sight because I was able to position my camera well, whereas Rich looks like he's set up there. He's like, I don't know if Bob Murphy, the former Mets broadcaster, came back to life and is ready to, uh, to make a call on my background. The best day in um, baseball history, the 86 Mets World Championship, um, or not. But um, we're, we've all upgraded technically. And actually, Rich, you're not red. Norm normally, Rich is red on these podcasts. So it looks like, did you get a new camera or something? No, I just wanted you guys to know that I do not get sunburned every week and that I actually do use sunscreen. And when you get rid of the iMac camera and replace it with a high-end HD Logitech camera, all of a sudden you're no HD, longer red. HD, baby. H I, I never realized like, Rich, HD isn't like something to brag about anymore. <laughs> I think maybe it was in 2008, but you really need to say 8K if you want to get people excited now. <laughs> All I'm glad is that I look better. Okay. Well, uh, congratulations to Walt. Uh, his team won the championship. I think it was this week. They had won LF, before, but they, LF, this was the raising LFC. of the trophy. Oh, it was the raising of the trophy. LFC. There's some great matches on this weekend to determine who's going to the Champions League for those that are interested in watching NBC Sports, Peacock, or any of the variety of channels that have games all over the place. It should be an exciting weekend for English well, Premier League. Much more exciting I, than, than the baseball. Base, the, than baseball. I, I, let's start off, actually, with baseball while we're on the subject. Um because I think all three of us watched last last night's opening game between the Yankees. Watch what I then, could stomach. Watch what you could stomach of it of, of that game without fans. And, well, I turned uh, it on basically right when they were interviewing Manfred, and then there was like a lightning bolt behind him, which was hilarious. Like in the middle of him talk, like hyperbolizing about like how great everything is, which it isn't. And then I was going to say there, there's actually nothing great about what was going <laughs> on in all. baseball. Um, look, it, it took forever for baseball to get back. It's I'm glad to see them kind of experimenting with rules and trying some new things as much as it pains me um, as a lifelong baseball fan. But I thought last night's game, the first game was completely unwatchable. Um, and I actually think that not having fans in the stadium has a material impact on the atmosphere of watching the game. I'd rather almost just listen to it on the radio and imagine what's going on uh, like I did when I was a, a kid. I, here, I think Rich just brought up um, Juan Carlos. A video. Uh, or Giancarlo's uh, home run. Can we play that, Rich? We can. There okay, we go. Let's, let's see it. There's no audio, but we're just watching him hit a home run. Yeah, and there's 
nobody in the stands. There's no atmosphere. And like, honestly, we, we discussed this when WWE came back without fans that, you know, it, it probably is having an impact on, on, on the quality um, of the production and uh, how engaging it is. And I actually think, I didn't think it would be the case for baseball, but, um, but it, it actually seems to be. I watched the second game also, by the way, um, the, Dodge, the Dodgers-Giants game, um, another terrible game, but they actually had those cardboard cutouts of oh, yeah. the people in the, in the stands. And I, I hate to say this, it actually kind of made a difference the one question I had was, and maybe one of you guys know that, do people actually pay um, to be in the stands? And does the cost relate at all to <laughs> to where your seat is? I have the, the cardboard cutout. Like, you, yeah. do you pay more to be right behind home plate? Right behind, that's what I was thinking. Field? Yeah. yeah. Like, I was usually, you watch the Dodgers, uh, I was expecting Larry King um, to, to be behind the plate but it yeah. was just some dude who probably paid a lot of money in his seat mark on our team time. mark kelly on our team is saying you do pay and you actually pay more based on where your seat is and you pay for the whole season to be digitally or did <laughs> be cardboard or digitally imposed whatever it may be <laughs> that's that's awesome i guess baseball needs revenue drivers and uh th- that'll make up for some of the lost gate revenue look the real question brandon is is are people going i mean everyone was watching last night because it was opening night and people were excited fauci threw out the or i guess you technically could call it throwing out the first pitch i'm not sure what that was but the, the reality is it made me we'll- skeptical that he was actually the captain of his high school basketball team i mean i know he's gotten up there in age but that was the worst pitch I've ever seen. But the question becomes: I think Fifty Cent had one like similar to that. <laughs> Fifty Cent was pretty bad too, but this was epic. But if you're an if you're an advertiser, because we're hearing Fox is like ninety percent sold out on inventory. Like I think the question is: everyone's so excited for sports to come back, but when you watch that, I just wonder. Like I know people are desperate for sports, and so maybe it doesn't matter. But I do wonder after watching a bit of last night's game, like are people going to keep watching? You know, after the first week of baseball, will people be watching until we get to the playoffs? I'm sure they'll watch for the playoffs, but I, I am a little skeptical what ratings will look like after this week. I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you, Rich. I'm a huge baseball fan, as you know. Um, the Mets are on at four today. I'm obviously a Mets fan. I don't honestly even know if I'm going to watch, and I'm not really excited for for this season. I, I I'm just not. I don't know why. Um, so we'll see if I'm not, I don't know who really, who really well, look, is going to be. M- maybe part of it though, is going to be on the gambling side. So the yeah. tweet we have up here, why don't you read it? Um, uh, more money was bet on tonight's. This obviously was last night. Yankees nationals game than has been bet on any other baseball game in at DK Sportsbooks history, Dra- DraftKings Sportsbooks history. Um, the total handle, including in-game bets, easily on its way to eclipsing the amount bet on Game Seven of last year's World Series. So that tells that tells me a couple of things. One is uh, DraftKings is probably going to blow away numbers um, uh, in the next quarter or so. Number one, um, 
not that it necessarily has anything to do with the valuation. Um, but number two is uh, people want to bet on bet on sports and there's real pent up demand there. Right. But that also t- ties into ratings. And so, you know, the big hope for media networks, right, is that gambling drives people to watch games, even if the games are boring, like we're talking about, like last night felt boring. But the yeah. question is, if you're putting money on the game, are you going to be more apt to watch? And so I feel like this will sort of be a good Especially test. with in-game betting, which is a big hope for those invested in some of these stocks. Okay, so let's move on. The baseball, though, had one other impact, which was we woke up today and there's a deal on the tape just a couple of hours ago, Sinclair reaching a deal with Comcast. And, you know, we've Sinclair has had their regional sports networks off of dish since literally about this time last year, I think, Brandon, I think it was sometime in June, July last year when they went dark and Charlie hasn't brought them back. And it doesn't sound like they're ever coming back at this point. Yeah. Comcast. The hope was that when baseball season started or the hope for Sinclair investors was when baseball season started, it would catalyze Charlie bringing them back. But obviously it's gone forever. But go go on. Uh, Yeah. And look, we don't know the rate, but, you know, clearly Charlie hasn't brought them back. But Comcast, which was carrying them, had a renewal. The renewal was up in September. So we're, you know, sort of six or seven weeks early. And the the catalyst was Marquee. So Marquee is the Chicago Cubs sports network that launched. All signs were that Comcast really didn't have an interest in paying six to seven dollars a month for that network. And of course, we wake up and, you know, the deal's on the tape, so we don't know the terms. But my perspective is probably, you know, for, for Comcast, they've sort of made a, a decision internally of we're going to keep all the content, we're going to keep raising price, and subs are going to flee, but we're going to focus on broadband. So to me, it's like they've made the mental shift to a broadband connectivity company. They don't really care about video anymore, and they're going to let the price increases drive subs down. I mean, you saw from AT&T reported this week, they lost almost a million subs. Comcast is probably going to lose a half a million subscribers. So, you know, the video business is, is quote unquote, becoming just for sports fans. I mean, I'll tell you just a little tidbit uh, about that. We actually here in this house, we have Xfinity and we needed a new gateway. And long story short, we had an installer come here and we started talking about video. And I mentioned that I use YouTube TV and the installer flat out said that, you know, oh, he's something like, oh, yeah, um, uh, cable TV is on its way out and we know it. We just keep raising the price on, on the, he said the older people who, um, who just will keep having cable no matter what, um, meaning video. So, I mean, that is the mindset at the company all the way from the cable installer, um, up to the top to Brian Roberts level. It's over. Okay, let's move on. We got a big pot or not a big, but we've got a podcasting deal this week. So Serial bought by the New York Times. We've seen kind of podcast company after podcast company. Uh, obviously, most of them have gone to Spotify. We've seen a couple go to uh, Sirius, but this one actually New York Times stepping up and buying Serial. $25 million is the price tag that was reported, but we also understand there's like a $25 million earnout. So probably a $50 million deal. So not huge, but yeah, for ten, a, a, 10 times, 10 times revenue. I think that 
this deal in and of itself is not significant. I think what's more significant about reading that tweet is just thinking back to how podcasts and especially narrative podcasts took off. And it really was with Serial. I remember you and I sitting at the, at the bar in LA at Son of a Gun and my brother texted me and is like, you really need to pay attention to to podcasting, this this serial is really taking off, and and I think Years both of us that? listen. I what was that? Twenty fourteen. It was so, so. It was December. It was our it was our LA trip in twenty fourteen. It was the night before it started, and you were talking about this conversation with your brother, the text conversation. Yeah. And I remember, I remember we're sitting at the bar, and I make fun of you. Like I literally made fun of you. Like, are you kidding right. me? You're sitting the at a bar. The bartender chimed in. Right. Oh, yeah. And she goes, what are you talking about? She goes, when we all get off work here, like at midnight or one in the morning, we all go together and we listen to the podcast together. And I was in like, Vegas, that's what they do after work. They go. And listen no, to no, the no. This is in L.A. L.A. This was L.A. L.A. Oh. <laughs> okay. Sounds like fun. So, so, so let me get this right. Six years ago, everyone was talking about cereal. And six years later, they sold for 50 million dollars. <laughs> so what happened there? Well, I think uh, first of all, and by and by the way, they that they only had like five million dollars in revenue. I, I think part of it was not a huge podcast company. Like this is not the size of like a Gimlet, uh, or you know, you look at. Companies I understand like, that that's that's what it is today. But they had five year, five or six years to build it in what was an expanding market. So, like, what did they do? Yeah, that I don't know. For six years. <laughs> That's a, that's a very good that's a very good question. I do. I mean, why, why did it take him to now to sell? I mean, yeah, at, at twenty five fifty million dollars, like it sounds like they probably could have done that three or four years ago. I mean, what what when so Gimlet? What are the, sold what are the other like podcast companies doing, right, right. Rich? That you know that make it more exciting that are expanding, or is is it just going to be a bunch of twenty five or fifty million dollar roll up little crappy acquisitions for this market? I think the, the 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 companies that are are getting big in podcasting are doing lots of you know starting tons of podcasts. Serial really they were about to, from what I understand, but they hadn't rolled about out. To. They had six years. Uh, look, I, I I you know I don't know. Okay. Well, the New York but the big ones catalyze it though because I, they should have a fair amount of stories that fit well, you know, for that. I don't know, dude. It's, if, I mean, look, I'm not a huge podcast person, but like, it feels like you're buying Yahoo at this point. Like cereal seems like one of those nostalgic things from <laughs> six years ago. So they're going to catalyze some brand from six years ago that people talked about when everything has kind of surpassed it in terms of what people are listening to. It, it certainly isn't the... It, look, it Challenge. still does pretty good ratings, but I, you're right. It, it is certainly not the new brand in podcasting. I think what, you know, when you look at podcasting right now, the company that's obviously putting its big stake in the ground has been Spotify, which we've talked about in prior weeks. But the big development this week out of podcasting for Spotify was bringing in video. So now when you're watching, so much like the Joe Rogan podcast, which, uh, you know, you can watch it on YouTube. It actually does far bigger viewership most weeks on YouTube than it even does on any podcast app. You're now going to be able to watch podcasts inside of Spotify. Not a huge deal from a little listener standpoint, but what it does mean is that it creates the opportunity for video advertising. And I Absolutely. think that's that's the big get here, right, Brandon? I mean, you're going to see yeah, real ad I, brands. I think I think there's there's two things here. First of all, let's take a step back. Um, we've been waiting for, and I think Spotify has experimented with different ways of bringing video. Um, onto the platform, I think explicitly 
to catalyze um, so, so, some of the ad revenue, and nothing's really worked. And I think this probably. Do you, has do you the remember best the first time working? Do you remember the first time? They literally had they were they they put videos literally. from like Tastemade and and Katie Couric. <laughs> And the idea was that when you wake up in the morning and you put on music, you might also want to watch a video about cooking. And that was their first approach into video, which was a total train wreck disaster. But I think they really learned what works. And I think it just feels very natural to have yeah. the video playing within a podcast. Yeah, and I think and also from just sorry, well, from an advertising perspective, you, you also if someone clicks off the video, you still have the audio playing in the background, which is a huge advantage for Spotify. And um, I don't know, it's, it sounds like from, from reading Lauren's quotes in the LA Times and other places, like they have um, advertisers already lined up who are excited about this. So uh, hopefully this will you know, help help launch uh, advertising in a bigger way on the so, side. So how does that, how does that play into what Gary V was, had been saying on our light shed live in terms of layering in video, maybe you're talking about a different type of video advertisement that people effectively fast forward or ignore and go to their phones while the video is playing as opposed to in the podcast world where we could sit here and talk about like, Hey, I just got a new order from Mac Weldon's. Everyone should get Mac Weldon's Mac Weldon pay me like that type of thing where it's kind of unavoidable and a part of the personalities. Are they, is Spotify somehow doing this differently? I, I hope again, we don't know because it doesn't exist yet, but I hope that the advertising you see the video ads are directly tied to a sponsor, meaning the host talking about that brand and hope that that's what my my hope okay. would be is that it ties together and that it's not just as opposed to like an insert ads. which would be like a, a normal, normal interstitial ad that or mid-roll ad now Sorry, what is this other video. tweet in the bottom right corner here was that someone being salty you could do why did you put that one in there rich well i i got two different people so um you know, so we've got one tweet from Dieter Bond that says, for a month or so, I've been using Spotify as my podcast app. It fully sucks. Seemingly at random, when I'm listening to music, the next track will be a podcast. In CarPlay, sometimes the next button will skip songs instead of jumping ahead 30 seconds. It's a mess. And then Kendall Baker, who's at Axios and who I read religiously on sports, goes, podcasts and music go together like orange juice and toothpaste. Never really understood the app of all things all things audio approach. You know, Spotify is trying to be the audio destination for everything. Is it the best app? I mean, Walt, what app do you use for for podcasts? Uh, Castro, and, I, and I'm just thinking about what Dieter um, and and I think Kendall are saying, and like I think that's fair. I've had the same type of issues where when you hit this kind of continual play, like when I'm in Castro, it kind of loads podcast after podcast. And I do use Spotify separately for music. Um, so that's, it's definitely an interesting observation in terms of mixing the two together. It doesn't necessarily work for me, but um, perhaps there's functionality that they can layer in to make it work better. And I think if you were to talk to Daniel at Spotify, he would acknowledge that they are not the best podcast player. They were literally unusable two yeah. years ago. It's gotten literally. better. It's still not as good as it, it should be. You know, what's, you know what's interesting, um, just taking a step back uh, on this podcast discussion, is that when, when you think about Spotify and what differentiated them, it was really that they're a tech company and, and the user experience, things like recommendation engines, so on and so forth, are really the differentiator. 
But for podcasting, it seems like the differentiator is actually becoming content. Look, I like Spotify, but it, even for music, I have to admit, for me personally, it's a little messy. I mean, it's not the it's not the best user experience that I've dealt with in terms of interacting with with my phone. So I don't know. I mean, the podcast just makes it more challenging, and I, I certainly have no plans to switching over. And you know. I'm not a Joe Rogan listener. Maybe I will be in the future, but look, I'm paying for it anyway. So if I need to listen to any exclusive content, I can, you know, I can go over and listen to it there. Look, I think one of the big differences, you know, we, we didn't have this um, tweet up, but one of the big uh, news this week was that Addison Ray, who's a huge TikTok star that my kids know all about, uh, she's doing an exclusive podcast on Spotify. And I think part of this is, this is, you know, yes, they want everybody but I do think it's sort of about cementing the younger generation into Spotify and using it for everything, podcasting. Because I don't think if you've never used Castro or you've like never tr- used. Truly becoming the operating system for, for audio. Is, yeah. And if you've never used these other probably, things. But the market's probably segmented. Like I, I, I consider myself a pretty heavy um, podcast user. So for me, Castro has tremendous value in terms yeah. of the controls and taking out blank spots and things like that. Not everyone is obviously has the same use. Um, I, I use case. Overcast and Pocketcast and I love both of them. I use them for different purposes, but I love them as, as, as apps that are dedicated. Um, I don't yet use Spotify for most of my audio podcast audio needs. Yeah, and most importantly, soccer. Lightshed is available on Castro. Th- that's Apple, that's Overcast, that's but not that Spotify. Is, that is true. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on. Uh, okay, I was going to just mention one one more thing. If you look at the Stitcher acquisition that Surrey did, some of the commentary um, that came out of uh, Greg Maffei was there really is no sort of killer player out there yet, and that he thought that that was really going to matter. So it's it's not just the content. I've never used Stitcher. It's also, the, the the tech. Okay, Walt, give us Verizon. Well, this is just someone's tweeting on, in terms of the quarter, talking about how Verizon Media is down twenty four and a half percent. This is the, formerly the Oath business, so I'm not sure what's going on in the media business, but it reminds but, me of Go ninety, by the way, <laughs> where where they were writing checks to literally literally. <laughs> Literally everyone, there were entire businesses that were ex- made and existing only to to take Go90 money. Do you remember that, Rich? We visited one of them on a trip one year. I just think it's funny that who was behind Go90 money? again? Verizon. Okay, well, I, I sorry. Had to Made some of the Go90 content. Um, <laughs> but remember, so, Oath, is, Oath is, is Yahoo and AOL slapped together. I mean, that's sort of even now Verizon Media. It's just amazing. And they said that will be down mid-teens next quarter as well. So I'm not sure we're expecting a big recovery there. But what's fascinating about this is like, you know, it's kind of a little unfair to attack existing Verizon. It's a new CEO, Hans Vestberg. He's, as soon as he got that job, he started you know, getting rid of, I think, as you recall, Tim Armstrong left pretty quickly thereafter. And it, and there was reports that they were denying out of Bloomberg and other places about them trying to sell these businesses. Clearly, they didn't find a buyer. This is a legacy asset of Lowell McAdam. And his other legacy is millimeter wave spectrum. When they didn't buy a dish and, you know, had to spend $10 billion in an auction that they claimed they walked away from, they went, you know, deep into millimeter wave spectrum and media assets. So the legacy of Lowell McAdam is that. And here's one of his assets, and we're seeing what's happening to it, like down 24%, not even being really considered seriously by the C- the current um, CEO. 
It remains to be seen what will happen with this millimeter wave spectrum. After the C-band auction, you could see a massive pivot away from something that was really hyped up by that company, again, under the stewardship of Lowell McAdam. Well, you know what? It's sort of another thing that sort of ties into it that happened this week was Stanky's comments or lack thereof around DirecTV, right? I mean, he didn't even really want to talk about DirecTV. He's now the CEO, and it sort of reinforced, at least in my mind, what you wrote about earlier in the year, Walt, which is... DTV and DISH just feel like they're inevitable now. And, you know, prior management had the, did the DirecTV deal and we've got new management now. Look, let, let's go back. Let me do a quick history lesson here. Okay, so our theory on that one from the beginning was a DirecTV purchase was to help fund the dividend, right? They theoretically should have gone in DISH. They could have gotten Spectrum, Box, Alvarize, whatever. They didn't. Even at that time, Stanky was obviously there. He was playing up the Latin American angle. The other report that AT&T had was in the pay TV business, that business was like down 20% or something. That was also like that business got crushed. And, you know, look, now they're, now he's basically saying on, on the call, which I think is the right thing to say, like, look, we're just, that's not the right technology of delivery. It's about the customer relationship. It's clearly kind of a, a re-narrative or, a, you know, which is fine. But to me, that's, a, that's an obvious setup to punt that asset to realize the synergies that they can get with Dish, which we've talked about. I'm sure our podcast listeners that are regular listeners, we've heard us <laughs> talk about this before, so I apologize for being redundant. But look, you had Stanky just listen to him on, the, on that conference call. And even later asked by Faber, same questions, and he, I think he responded similarly to David Faber of CNBC. Like, this is the, an obvious deal. And I don't really believe, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat that's heading the FCC or the DOJ, that that is a, a process that, that's going to, that's a deal that will not get approved by regulators. Can I just say on Verizon, one last point is I still find it amazing that they have a billion four of revenue in Oath or Verizon Media. Like, it's hard to believe it's still a billion four of <laughs> revenue, like a quarter. Like, it's just hard to imagine. First of all, I used Yahoo Mail and the ad load on that is, I mean, I can't, I'm almost tempted to become a subscriber because I don't want to give up my email address. By the way, Walt, Walt, you're, you're, you're insulted that all this talk about Yahoo is insulting to one of our team members. Who's the biggest Yahoo fan on the earth, Joe Joe Galone, who reads, it still goes to Yahoo to read everything. Still uses it for for his his mail, but I, I have to say I did use Yahoo this week for my fantasy baseball draft. Yes, I okay. still play I, I know, fantasy, I, I, baseball. fantasy baseball draft. Oh my god! I, I, enough of Yahoo! Enough of Yahoo! Let's talk A about keeper something league. <laughs> keeper league. Dynasty baby. Oh, just just I won how, last year. FYI. <laughs> just to show how different. Just to show how different the world is in terms of what is primarily a desktop company in, in Verizon Media versus a mobile company, we've got revenues that were up nicely, uh, you know, high teens at Snapchat. Uh, the stock sold off a little bit. I think people were disappointed that they, you know, missed the, the, the DAU number, user number. Guidance was pretty conservative for Q3. But I think the real story here is, is that. Snap doesn't have any of the brand safety issues that are affecting some of the other platforms. There's no boycott of Snapchat. They are hiring aggressively and building out the content side of the house. There's still fears that are not going away, you know, vis-a-vis or don't seem like they're going away vis-a-vis anytime soon, TikTok. But the core business of Snap seems like it's doing great. I mean, growing users, you know, you've got nice user growth. 
uh, year over year up high teens, revenue growth up high teens. Obviously, it's not the 30, 40, 50% that people were hoping for coming into this year, but still pretty robust growth, even as they've set a pretty tempered expectation for, for Q3, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, it seems like the guidance was conservative. If you look at what, what the run rate um, was uh, thus, thus far in July, I understand there's some concerns about back to school. And obviously, this is an app that's used by <laughs> heavily by by college, high school and college students. I get it. Um, but it still seems like they're, they're probably being uh, conservative there. And it's also a company that's doing a lot of interesting things that that investors don't always think about behind the scenes for that next leg of growth. Um, whether it's on the map side, which no one talks about and has, what, 200 million users um, or on minis and, and, so, and so on and so forth, really becoming that or hopefully becoming that operating system for, for millennials and Gen Z that, that, that we've spoken about in the past. They're iterating really fast, and I think we'll see. They ha- you know, we don't know if they're going to get any benefit from the Facebook advertiser backlash that's out there right now. It's possible that the- those dollars just get, quote-unquote, saved by brands given the environment. But I do think that there's a possibility that, you know, this is a, from a positioning standpoint, that this really helps Snapchat. I mean, we saw Snapchat. Evan was spoke at the – or Anna and Jeremy both spoke at the P&G conference last week. Like, there's just – there feels like there's a lot of momentum on the brand side for Snapchat. And so even if this is a tougher than expected quarter, as you move forward, I think they're winning a lot of points with brands uh, as we move yeah. into 2021. Interesting going, uh, a company that is going from a, a DR and sort of like auction focus to to brand focus, which is the opposite of another company that reported earnings uh, this week, um, which which is Twitter, and um, I look they they missed uh, on the revenue side, but user growth was incredible, and the we've discussed this innumerable times. Everyone knows they just haven't been able to get performance advertising right. But the key to I think this this quarter's earnings report was the progress that they've made. Um, with their new ad server and map. And hopefully they could take this really quickly growing, very, very quickly growing um, <laughs> DAU base and, and turn it into, into dollars. I mean, I remember listening to Ned Siegel. He was speaking at one of the big investment bank conferences uh, a year ago. And he made a comment that, you know, if we're ever going to be a big company, we've got to stop. We've got to break out of the 9 to 14% growth in users. And within two quarters, they're growing at 20% plus. And now, effectively, a year later, they're growing at over 30%. I mean, this is just staggering user growth. And it's yeah. this is not just Trump. This is not just Black Lives Matter. This is, you know, the, the, the global growth of users is just staggering. It's actually, they're growing faster globally than they are in the U.S. So it's yeah, not this is, just the U.S. Trump effect. It's also, a, it's, a, it's the DAU number that, that we're talking about, um, which indicates probably, we don't know what the ratio, MAU ratio is, but probably um, real repeat use, usage and engagement. And there have been catalysts in the past that have brought uh, users into Twitter, but the product just wasn't good enough or easy enough to use to retain them. And there has been real improvement um, 
in the last couple of years that hopefully will make Twitter a daily habit, even as some of the you know, world tensions, <laughs> for lack of a better word, subside. We should get a bell on this show because, Brandon, you were you kind of called it or nailed it in terms of what Twitter might be thinking of in terms of subscriptions, in terms of making it easier to get into news or into paywalls. Seems like they gave you sort of confirmation to what you were thinking. Yeah, I mean, the way that I actually came up with that idea is I was thinking about what you know, it, there's so many things that Twitter needs from a, a user experience um, standpoint, but if they started to segregate those out between <laughs> uh, subscription and not subscription, it, it, things weren't going to work. And the one real frustration that I have on Twitter is actually continuously um, hitting paywalls as I use it as my newspaper and it being really frustrating. So to, to the extent they could solve that problem, I think it's a big opportunity and it's a much better place to sell uh, a new subscription than Apple News, which right, and, I, and I Apple don't News think hasn't Walt done is, any... is very bullish on. No, but it also hasn't converted to advertising, right? Like Apple doesn't do advertising. So, for if you were a if you were a publisher, well, they did. It's a, they had iAd, but didn't yeah. really go anywhere. Well, they believe in privacy, which is sort of at odds with ads. Right. Sort of the and, until you until you can get massive scale and then just say, well, you're hitting X number of people. So it's kind of what it, you get I on always, television, right? I always thought that that was a huge lurking business in Apple. Um, going, going back years, they just they just haven't wanted to embrace that. And I, I don't know, do, Walt, do you think this focus on privacy that they have even drives iPhone sales? Um, that's a very good question. I actually don't think that that's the case. I mean, I think it's all a part of branding um, and they're going to kind of stick with it because they want you to to continue to trust them and have high customer satisfaction. But I think it's a stretch to argue that someone that's going to upgrade their iPhone is is doing it because of specifically the privacy issue. I'd love to see if there was some some studies on that or some research, but it doesn't seem I point well taken. It doesn't seem like that's a driving factor of why people are, are buying their products. It theoretically should be. I mean, it's an important issue. I think they do um, good things and it's nice to know that they're there, but you know, I'm not sure it's a, a it's a, uh, a market share driver at this point. Speaking of privacy and trying to change the narrative, we've got TikTok on a full assault trying to shift the narrative uh, he, trying to create 10,000 jobs in the U.S., creating a fund for a $200 million fund to pay for people with major presences, basically basically just a way to attract and retain talent on the platform. Very much like what, if you think about what YouTube's done over the years with their creator funds, uh, YouTube even create, you know, YouTube spaces were places for creators to go to create content more easily. And so to, to me, it, it feels like this is a- Or epic in the video game world. Absolutely. Look, that 10,000 job thing to me is uh, <laughs> reminds me of when Masayoshi's son was in the in the the lobby of the Trump Tower holding up that slideshow promising 40,000 <laughs> yes. jobs to to the president the president elect or I guess he might have been the pre- who knows where he was at that point but um not sure that those jobs ever materialized um but the deal did get approved Sprint T-Mobile <laughs> was approved. Trump does like to say he's bringing jobs, very many jobs. Well, and, you know, if you look at TikTok, the idea of 
more jobs, paying people, giving people a way to make a living, meaning creators. And then you've got this tweet from Jessica Lesson at the information with a story that, you know, ByteDance and TikTok are looking at selling TikTok to some of its U.S. venture capital investors so that it could basically be considered a U.S. company. There's definitely a lot going on at TikTok. I mean, obviously, usage continues to go through the through the roof. Everyone is talking about it. Uh, I think it continues to weigh a little bit on the Snapchat story, as we talked about. But, it, it, you know, it, I think all of this seems like they're really working very hard to shift the narrative from this is a privacy problem to this is a company that's good for, you know, U.S. consumers. So, Brandon, what do you think the administration, what matters more to the administration the 10,000 jobs that were promised or the less than 10,000 people that showed up to the last political rally? Ooh, you know, <laughs> don't get me started. I was just, <laughs> I was watching Trump yesterday talk about why they were, ca- they were canceling Florida and how he needs to set an example and not have this big indoor rally and so on and so forth because of, of COVID. I was like, didn't this guy just a month ago have that rally in Tulsa? But the point is that, that, you know, there was certainly some belief that, you know, some of these negative things against TikTok were driven by this speculation that a couple of teenagers, you know, had oh, some impact. That's where, you, that's where you were going. Yes. Oh, yes. God, I on, missed, man. Uh, we, we, talk, we talked about serve serve in volley a little or whatever setups in volleyball and and you gave me one i missed it that was a beautiful that was a softball that was a a softball right down the middle don't all right what's next okay next is uh movie theater so amc came out last uh, over the last week and says they're going to open up theaters in mid-august and then within days we've got tenant not being released in theaters pulled indefinitely by warner brothers and then we've got mulan just yesterday disney basically cleaning out their calendar, moving Mulan to an indefinite hold and saying that a bunch of other films are delayed at least a year as well. And so here we are. No movies are opening up this summer. Paramount just moved their big film, A Quiet Place 2, from September into, uh, I think, April 2021. I think we're at the point now where there is literally nothing of any substance that's coming out now before October. And the reality is these theaters like AMC they're going to be on life support. I mean, I think you're going to, you're going to see that a, a, the theater chains are going to be struggling. If you don't see a movie come out before 2021 in theaters, I'm not sure any of these theater chains are going to survive bankruptcy protection at this point. What about the theaters in the boats? The theaters <laughs> in the boats was a really cool idea to do drive-ins on the water. Although as I tweeted at you, Walt, sounds I, I like do- an expensive idea. <laughs> Uh, cool. you, you float a screen. I mean, that'd be a fun way to see a movie in your boat so, on, why on the is, water. Why does boats. Chris Nolan have that much power? At the end of the day, if you pay someone a lot of money to make a movie, don't you have the asset and you can just tell him to say, okay, thanks for your input, but we're actually going to release this on HBO Max now? Uh, I think in this case, he actually has control or has the ability to determine uh, that as part of his contract. And so, uh, unfortunately- is it, is it that or is it that T- is it just a or Warner's really? Is just is just afraid to upset him because he's drives that much box office. Uh, look, he's probably the most important director in the Warner Brothers family in terms of consistent success. 
you know, go back all the way. I mean, he, this guy's put out a lot of movies over the years for Warner Brothers that have done huge amounts of business. I mean, obviously, we know of Dark Knight, but you think of Dunkirk. Yeah. I mean, these are he's had an incredibly consistent track record of box office films doing 500 million to a billion dollars of box office. That said, the world is changing. Like, and I, I kind of look at Walt's like the world is changing. Like, we got to be trying new things. And I don't know. Look, Stanky is a strong leader. So at some point, I, I understand that he's important. But if if some one single person is that important to a four hundred billion dollar company, at some point, don't you say like, "Look, man, I know you're great and all, but like, we're not doing business with you ever again if we can't figure out how to how to salvage this mess that we're in created by COVID." And put this on HBO Max. We'll get you on the next one, but like you got to be reasonable here, or there's going to be some repercussions for you later. You don't think Stanky has the ability to do that, running the company at his side? You're going to let one guy dictate what a multi-hundred billion dollar company is going to do? Nolan is the guy also who has led the charge against collapsing windows for for a, a long time. I go back, I remember the the letter that was signed by all the directors about day and date. I don't even know what year that was, all the years right. combined. But like, um, but yeah, I mean, Rich, you wrote that piece this week. It, it would have been a really interesting or would be a really interesting strategic move um, to, to take a movie that big and, and put it on HBO Max to really... Uh, get Max going and maybe help with these negotiations that are right, going especially on. Right. Especially at a time when they're battling in their negotiations with, with Amazon and as, as well as with, uh, with Roku. Yeah. I mean, look, we've got this it's tweet a bet. from it's an investment. Yeah. Look, we got this tweet from Sarah Fisher, AT&T. She just transcribed what was said on the call. We've tried repeatedly to make HBO Max available to all customers using Amazon Fire Stick devices, including those who've already bought HBO Max. Unfortunately, Amazon's chosen to treat HBO Max and customers differently than other streamers and those customers. And the point of this is we looked at Tenant and said, if Tenant was available on HBO Max tomorrow, would that break the logjam? My gut sense is if you knew that there was a steady stream of huge movies that were only available on HBO Max, just like Disney Plus got its got onto both Roku and Amazon uh, Fire TVs at their launch and broke those logjams, I think that's the type of must-have content because the numbers that AT&T disclosed, I mean, 4 million people having activated their HBO Max subscriptions out of 27 million people that already have HBO Max is obviously not an encouraging early start. It's, it's obviously slow and it's, it's probably a content problem that the content hasn't been there, hasn't forced the distribution. So you've got this sort of chicken and the egg problem it would have been nice to use something like Tenant to break that logjam. Like it, kind of- it launched in May. There's, you know, they, they haven't pushed that much awareness. They've got a big yep. marketing budget that's going to be probably tied to the launch of the, the next iPhone, the 5G iPhone. I've talked about this before. Seems like a great opportunity to tie that into a promotion of an Apple TV, which does carry um, HBO Max. So maybe it's just a timing issue. Like, you know, in some respects, you can't really crush them after two months. But in the other respects... Getting back to what we were just talking about before, like it is a pivotal time. It's important, right? People are making their choices. Like if you're going to get back to like, you know, getting Chris Nolan on board and doing all this stuff, then like do it all at once. And like the time is of the essence, I think within 2020. 
Right. And that's why I put this other tweet on the screen juxtaposed against it, which is Google launching Netflix on their home hubs. Like all the Nest home hubs can now get Netflix. And I, I think about like Google making it easy, like Google's the easy one to work with, which is not a place you normally think about relative yeah. to you, you think of Roku sort of as Switzerland or, you know, maybe even you don't even think of Amazon that way. But certainly the fact that Google's basically just like Apple, Google and, and Apple are saying, everyone, come on board. We want everybody's apps and be that kind of location to sort of win time on their platforms is really interesting to me. And at the same time, it's also just helping Netflix further distance themselves from the HBO Maxes and Peacocks because they don't have the distribution that a Netflix has, and it's definitely hurting yeah. them competitively. Agree on all points. And, and Google is just trying to win the home. That's it. Right. And we've got this big Android relaunch coming in the fall that we keep focusing on. I think all of this is going to start making a lot more sense when you see Android TV get more aggressive and integrating Nest and all of these different platforms together. Hopefully, I mean, for their sake, the product's good. And that that's really what it'll come probably come down to. Um, sure. the yeah. Chromecast was so like bad. Apple, <laughs> Apple launched that speaker and that was a huge dud. <laughs> right, so you still actually have to make something that works well. Yeah, good product. Okay. Tweet of the week, Brandon. I know this is your favorite topic. Avatar. Avatar right. 2, 2022. <laughs> 13 years after the first one. Prediction? I'm, I I said this, I, I don't know how many years ago, that Avatar will either, A, be the biggest write-off of all time, or B, be the biggest write-off of all time because it'll never come out. And <laughs> waiting, waiting for Avatar is, is kind of like um, thinking about, I don't know, Avatar is like, like going for, I don't know, this is my, to my favorite or least favorite Met of all time. Ooh, I just needed a way to use this. Can you say background. for the people that are listening to the podcast? This is um, Mel Rojas, the worst closer in baseball history who caused me a lot of heartache and um, I needed a way to get them on the screen. So that's, but you, <laughs> you know, you think about avatar and you go, you know, I, I just, I don't think there's any, I mean, look, you never want to bet against Jim Cameron, which is, you know, it, I, you know, those, you hear that all the time, but the reality is avatar two, it doesn't feel like a Marvel. I mean, people franchise. say you never want to bet against Jeffrey Katzenberg. Right. Quibi certainly hasn't worked out so far. That's for sure. I, I mean, look, you know, the reality is not everything always works. And, I, you know, I, Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5 seems like a very large bet. It's probably one of the biggest assets that Disney paid for in the Fox acquisition. And I'll tell you, I, I'm very, I share your skepticism, Brandon. It just, 3D was such a big event that drove Avatar 1. It wasn't like it was the world's best movie. And I, I don't yeah. know what, the the plot wasn't interesting at all. It it literally <laughs> was was all about three D and um, I, I, and 
you don't have that anymore. Everyone does, does thinking real that 3D D, TVs by the way, be a big upgrade cycle? Yeah. Oh, I still D, remember. I still remember. I'm not going to call them out, but I still remember investor telling me that like 3D yes. TV was going to be huge. An investor who definitely listens to this podcast. Oh, definitely. And if I didn't who, put a buy on on Real D, I was going to regret it. And this is when Real D was up to like 30 bucks. And the way, pretty, I actually own. Pretty this. sure that investor was probably selling the stock as he. <laughs> I actually own a 3D to, television because it was the, it. it was the only thing at the time that fit within the space that I had, and I bought the little active glasses and everything. I never used it once. I don't does know it, anyone has used does those real glasses. D still exist? This is an yeah. absolute real no, question no, no. It, it that does. I want to know it, the it's, answer. It's, to. it's held by private equity. It was bought. It was taken private, and it's owned by private equity. I have no idea. Well, I mean, by the way, these with the whole glasses and this and the bins. I don't know if that's you know, the most uh, COVID or post-COVID friendly. Uh... Isn't Rocco Pandola a big real D bull? <laughs> no, that was Pandora. That was Pandora. <laughs> that was Pandora. Right. And yeah. Another, yeah. another sure into real D as well? company that was, that was a target of, of the Greenfield wrath. Speaking Ooh, of By which... the way, Eric Jackson, and another guy with a podcast, I guess everyone has a podcast these days, um, brought up a couple of weeks ago i think he was like pandora remember rocco pandola by the way speaking of which today is national tequila day so make sure you have some type of anejo is what i would recommend uh for for the cocktail hour i just got i just got a whole batch i just got a whole batch from our good friend joe marchese of superbird which is a paloma with tequila you know what joe we need to have joe marchese on light shed live by the way we will. Yeah. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get a date. We're gonna get a date for sure. Whilst drinking tequila. Uh, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> sure, we could do that. Okay. I, I, I gotta would, get I would, I would Mel Rojas off the we'll have to move our recording time back a little bit, but that should work. I can drink midday. I'm a day drinker. That's fine. Whoa! Uh, hey now. I'm. I'm not okay. a day drinker. That's episode 14. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Oh wait a minute. Hold on. Wait. Programming note. Wait. What do you mean? programming Robert. note what's the programming uh, we'll note? soon be making our research available via podcast so let us know if you're interested we'll probably send out an email shortly but uh you know we're, we're basically comment um copying what ben um ben thompson, thompson has done which he's he reads his notes and adds a little bit more color so um look looking you know look for that in your inbox shortly and a new podcast product by Lightshed. Light shed research. And what just one more programming note. Yes. Every everyone probably heard Walt and I say literally a lot on this <laughs> podcast. Um we we're just making I, I'm trying to get range. away from it. I'm trying to get away from it. I promise. I <laughs> right, promise. This podcast is literally over. It's it, literally right. bye. <laughs>